Today's scripture comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can you join me in prayer once more? Father, we commit this time to you. Thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Through the preaching of your word, would you speak to your people? Would you encourage us? And may your word penetrate deep and deep into our hearts and our lives and bear much fruit for your kingdom. God, we commit this time to you. Thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, this morning I would like for us to focus on the topic of joy. You know, there's a song that immediately comes to mind when I think about the word joy. And the the song goes something like this. I have a joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart, down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. Now, if you grew up in the church, if you have helped out at any point in, in time um, in, in children's ministry, if you have participated in a VBS, or if you even went on a short-term summer mission trip, you probably sang this song many, many, many times while doing all the motions. It's such a simple song, yet it points us to this profound gospel reality, this true, lasting joy that is found only in Christ. I firmly believe that joy is one of the marks of a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. And Gordon Fee, a New Testament scholar, reminds us that the joy is the distinctive mark of the believer in Christ Jesus. But if that is the case, but sadly, we don't see ourselves rejoicing as much as we should. And I'm willing to bet if you had to choose one word to describe yourself and your life, You know, the word joy probably wouldn't be your choice. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, why is it so difficult for us to rejoice? And I think our problem is this, that we fail to see the fundamental difference between joy and happiness. You know, in this sermon, I'll be making three points. Point number one, the vain pursuit of happiness. Point two, the the fullness of joy. And point three, reasons to rejoice. And it is my prayer and hope that through this sermon that you'll be able to discern the fundamental difference between joy and happiness and that instead of pursuing happiness in vain, that you will choose to remain in Christ because in his presence there is fullness of joy. Now with that in mind, let's delve into the first point together, the vain pursuit of happiness. In 2014, an artist named Pharrell wrote and released a song called Happy. I'm sure you guys heard it many, many times. And it was, a, it was featured in the movie Despicable Me Too. And in the movie, uh, we see that one of the main characters grew singing it after falling in love. And that was his, you know, happy moment. You know, this song eventually went viral and it was all over the radio and everyone was singing it and people started raving about this song and how, you know, unbelievably addictive and, you know, catchy it is. And people, and this is like one of those songs and and as you're listening to it, it just makes you want to get up and dance. It has this happy virus. To give you some facts, it was Billboard's number one single for 2014. It was the best-selling song of 2014 with more than 6 million copies sold. 
It won the Grammys for the best music video at the 57th Grammy Awards. It was the most successful song of 2014 worldwide, not just in the U.S., but in 23 other countries. Also, a website called 24hoursofhappy.com was launched, and it became the world's first 24-hour music video. And soon after that, people started using this new hashtag, uh, which emerged, 24 Hours of Happy. They started spreading you know, happiness all over the world. Now, people soon bought into this happy movement because they all wanted to be part of this happy phenomenon. And the question is this, why did this song go viral? Because it deeply resonated with people. It struck a chord in the hearts of people. And then one of the lyrics reads, Because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Let's be honest, everybody wants to be happy. And this song is actually the anthem for those who are on the pursuit of happiness. What is happiness? How would you define happiness in your own terms? Happiness, I think, is solely dependent upon your changing circumstances, what you do or what you have. You know, happiness along with pleasure can be bought and it actually can be obtained through things of this world. What are some things that make you happy? Please allow me to share some of my list, some of the things that actually make me happy. You know, whenever I step into an all-you-can-eat meat buffet or sushi sashimi buffet, that makes me really happy. I mean, the happiness goes away as soon as I step out, but for that moment, I'm really happy. You know, as I'm cutting into this juicy, you know, meat, uh, juicy medium-rare filet mignon, that makes me really happy try to savor each bite. But as soon as the steak is gone, you know, the happiness is also gone. And while I'm doing laundry, and then I unexpectedly find money, because I'm a poor pastor, you know, that brings me so much happiness. You know, when I'm able to sleep in without setting the alarm, which never happens, actually, by the way, because of Maya, our boss lady, There are rare moments where I get to do that, and that actually brings me a lot of happiness. I'm a diehard New York Jets fan, New York Mets fan, and when they win, when they do well, that brings me happiness. And I'm not sure if you guys love basketball, and if you're an avid follower of the New York Knicks, and right now that the Kevin Durant sweepstakes is going around, and he's going to become a free agent, and if you were to actually see that become a reality, wouldn't that bring so much happiness, right? to see Kevin Durant come to New York and lead us into championship. But that will never happen, so let's get rid of that picture, right? Just make me unhappy. See, the problem with happiness is that it's merely short-lived. It is only momentary. What once brought you happiness will eventually fade away, and as a result, you're going to find yourself desperately seeking and searching for that next thing, other forms of happiness, As you can see, it is a never-ending cycle. It's a vicious cycle. You know, which leads me to my next point. What then is joy? Where can we find this fullness of joy? Joy, on the other hand, cannot be bought, nor can it be obtained through things of this world. You know, joy has nothing to do with your circumstances, what you do or what you have. Oswald Chambers writes, the Bible talks plentifully about 
joy, but it nowhere talks about a happy Christian. Happiness depends on what happens. Joy does not. You know, happiness and smiles may come from your circumstances, for the better or worse, but true lasting joy is only found in Christ alone. In Psalm 4 and Psalm 16, 11, David makes this heartfelt confession that God has put more joy in my heart, that in his presence, that there is fullness of joy and that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. For David, simply being in the presence of God, that brought him the greatest joy. Because God himself was David's greatest joy. Now, what about you? Can you relate? Can you make the same kind of confession? Do you agree with David that in God's presence that there is fullness of joy and that God himself is actually your greatest joy? Because we live in a broken world filled with pain and suffering, we pursue happy things and look for happy places. And because our days are filled with stress, pressure, and anxiety, we're constantly fighting for happy moments throughout the day. And I'm sure you've all seen the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness. You know, in the movie, we see Chris and Linda, they make this gutsy investment, which actually doesn't work out. So throughout the movie, we see Chris and Linda, you know, fighting because there's so much tension. They're in debt, and they're not doing well financially. But we see Chris doing whatever it takes to make ends meet to provide for his family. But in the movie, there's a scene where they get to an argument, and, and Linda tells Chris in his face, I'm just not happy anymore. You know, do you remember how Chris responds to that complaint? Then go get happy. Go get happy. Go get whatever makes you happy. You know, because we live in a broken world and because we are fighting for happy moments every day and because we uh, look for those happy places, you know, throughout the day for that quick fix, It's so easy for us to forget, you know, what it really means to remain in Christ and then the fact that in his presence there's fullness of joy. And instead of doing that, we tend to settle and just go get happy. But that's not going to last. And my encouragement to you and as I challenge you is, is this, that don't let the cares of this life and your changing circumstances rob you of this joy, this indescribable and unspeakable joy which is already yours in Christ Jesus. Now, Lydia Brownback, in her book, Joy, writes, Deep, abiding, constant joy, fullness of joy is found only in God's presence. That is why there is a direct correlation between the joy we experience and our walk with God. Those who radiate the greatest joy are the ones who relate most personally to God. The closer your walk with God, the more intimate and, your pers- and intimate and personal your relationship with Jesus Christ becomes. And once you have taste and savor that, that in his presence, there is this fullness of joy that you cannot find elsewhere in this world. I promise you, you're not going to find yourself settling and finding your happy moments, happy places, that quick fix, because you know 
It's so much better to remain in Christ, to abide in him. As Jesus reminds us in John 15, abide in me, abide in my love in order that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Abide in Christ, remain in him because in his presence, there is fullness of joy, this deep abiding constant joy that will never ever run out. In Hebrews 12, 2, the author of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. I want to actually draw your attention to the word joy there. You know, if you grew up in the church, attended many Bible studies, or heard many sermons, you probably heard the pastor reminding you that Jesus went to the cross in love, that Jesus went to the cross willingly and sacrificially. But I wonder if you ever thought of it this way, that Jesus also went to the cross joyfully for the joy that was set before him. What was this joy that enabled Jesus to go to the cross lovingly, willingly, and sacrificially? It is the joy of being able to say emphatically and once for all, after defeating sin and death once and for all on the cross, that you are mine and that you belong to me that you are my child. He thought of you and me. He thought of us every step of the way to the cross. You know, the road to the cross for Jesus might have been marked with pain, suffering, agony, shame, humiliation, but underneath all of that, it was also paid with joy because he thought of us. He thought of you and me. You know, I do believe that there is an intimate connection between God's joy in saving his people and then the joy of salvation that we experience as his people. And the joy and abiding in Christ are inseparable. And I like to think of joy in this manner, that joy is a reflection of who you are in Jesus Christ. The more you abide in Christ, the more you understand what it really means to remain in Christ No matter what is happening in your own life, no matter how desperate your situation may get, even though we are living in this broken world, and if you, as long as you abide in Christ and remain in him, there will be fullness of joy in your life, and your life will be clearly marked by joy for all to see. Which leads me to my next point, the last point, reasons to rejoice. Now, we read just one short verse, Philippians 4, 4. And in this short verse, Paul commands us to rejoice. But not just rejoice, but rejoice in the Lord always. It's not an option. It's not an alternative. It's not a choice. But Paul commands us in Jesus Christ, we can actually rejoice. Because we have this fullness of joy in his presence, which does not go away or fade away. You know, Lydia Brown, back in her book, Joy, she actually begins the book with this paragraph, you know, Joy. It's what makes us stand out from the world around us. Along with the gift of Christ himself comes everything we will ever really need. Our security is guaranteed. Our provision is sure. Our path is guided. Undoubtedly, we pass through seasons of difficulty, sorrow, and uncertainty. But real joy isn't conditioned upon our circumstances. So why are we gloomy much of the time? We don't have to be gloomy. 
We should most certainly not be gloomy, but all too often our thoughts and our words are punctuated by grumbling and bad moods. We often we get caught up in looking at what we lack rather than all we have in Jesus Christ. And this is also a problem because of our self-centeredness. We get so caught up and fixated on our so-called first world problems. And let's be honest, we tend to look for reasons and excuses not to rejoice. And we all have this list, and this list seems to get longer and longer. And this is, our, this is just who we are in our sinful nature, and this is actually our default mode because sin by nature is curved inward towards the self. In the last week, Pastor John began his new sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes. And I've had the privilege of, you know, sitting through his preaching twice. And I, and I remember, you know, texting him in the following week how, how uh, you know, how, you know, blessed and encouraged and, and challenged and convicted I was. And I sent him this text message, you know, because, as, because of your sermon and since last week, I am now sigh conscious. I can't sigh anymore. If you weren't here last week, you know, in this sermon, Pastor John reminded us, you know, as, as, as the preacher, you know, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, pretty much in a nutshell, is telling us, you know, this is what the life under the sun looks like. It's meaningless. It's pointless. And, it, and it, it's a breath of air, this sigh, right? Ah, oh, sigh of disappointment. Sigh of hopelessness, sigh of frustrations. You know, these sighs will continue to fill your life because life in the end sucks under the sun. But then the preacher also points us to this reality, right? That if your life is in the sun, S-O-N, you could actually have all the reasons to rejoice. And that in Jesus Christ, that all the reasons that cause us to sigh become irrelevant, right? So ever since hearing that message and and, and because I've become so side conscious and, and it, it's, been, it's been hard because I'm trying to apply this sermon to my life. And it's been good, but, but I catch myself sighing all the time. And, and my wife actually told me, yeah, yeah, hon, you actually sigh a lot. <laughs> At the end of a long day of ministry, as I'm, as, after I get changed, as I'm lying down in my, in my couch, and, and I sigh. <laughs> but with that sigh comes whatever has been, you know, burdening me and in my heart and all the things that's been weigh, weighing down. And that's just who we are, right? We would rather sigh. And, and because we have this endless list that does not go away of all the reasons that cause us to sigh and think about all the frustrations and disappointments and things that make us feel hopeless, things that make us unhappy, right? But in Jesus Christ, as Apostle Paul reminds us here in this verse, and throughout this book of Philippians, that we have actually in Jesus Christ all the reasons to rejoice, the no more signs of disappointment, frustration, anxiety, and hopelessness. In Jesus Christ, we could actually declare that he is sovereign, that he is faithful, that no matter what is happening, if you abide in Christ and if you remain in him, because in his presence there is fullness of joy, that you could actually have these shouts of joy throughout your days and throughout the course of your life. There's this pastor named um, Pastor Elian, and he's a dear brother that I've had a chance to meet um, as I was participating in a short-term mission trip to Costa Rica. 
And I've had the privilege of visiting his uh, town and his ministry um, uh, twice in the past. And he's been doing ministry in this town called Moreno Cañas, and it's actually the poorest region in all of Costa Rica. And we, had, and we had the privilege of visiting him and partnering with him for a few years to really help him out because he's been really praying, desperately praying for God, God, for God to send someone to help him out. And as soon as we got there, we were just blown away because of just, just the, how they do life in that town. People are extremely poor. I mean, that would be an understatement. They don't have much. They work all day, and they make like $2. They don't have access to education, clean water, let alone electricity. And just to make their ends meet, the parents are forced, forced to sell their children. They are being sexually trafficked so that they could eat and survive. I mean, that was the context in which we went in and tried to do ministry for two weeks. And we were just so heartbroken and bothered by the things that we were seeing and the, the stories that we were hearing. And, and at the end of the trip, and as I had, had time to sit down with Pastor Elian, and as I was trying to get to know him better and, and, and to really ask him, how can we help you as we move forward together? And, and in my broken Spanish and through a translator, and I remember asking him this question um, because he was always marked by joy that every day he was still able to rejoice. And so I asked him, you know, flat out, how can you rejoice? How is your heart filled with so much joy knowing all this? As you see all the brokenness in this community, as you see children are being sold to grown-up men for sex so that the family can eat. I mean, that, that has become the norm and the culture in that society. As you see witchcraft being practice openly and people are you know gravitating towards that because it's just part of who they are how can you possibly rejoice in the midst of all this and his reason was simple (laughs) because of jesus christ because i know that he is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine yes i see the brokenness yes i see all the things And especially how sin has broken, utterly destroyed everything and everyone in this community. I see that, and I'm not blind to that. But I know who our God is and what he's able to do. And for that reason, I rejoice. I rejoice. And then he brought me to this passage in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. And it reads, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I will never, ever forget this lesson that he taught me on this topic of joy. He's able to rejoice because it's living by faith and because he completely trust in the power of the gospel, how God can take something that is so broken and renew it and restore it and redeem it for his kingdom and his glory. Did you actually know that Paul is writing this letter from prison in Rome towards the end of his life? And if you read through the book of New Testament, if you read through the New Testament, 
and all the epistles that Paul has written. And if you have actually a chance to read more about just the life and ministry of Apostle Paul, and you, you'll be convinced that this guy's life was not filled with reasons to rejoice. But this command, I, rejo- I mean, rejoice always in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. It's coming from Apostle Paul who didn't live a life that was filled with reasons to rejoice. But one thing is for sure, that his life, his identity, his self-worth, significance, meaning in life was firmly and deeply rooted in the gospel. And because he was able to find this fullness of joy in the presence of God, I do believe that it is because of that that he was able to endure all things for God's kingdom and for the sake of gospel ministry. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. You know, these verses actually uh, paint a picture of just what kind of life and ministry Paul Paul actually actually lived out for the sake of God's kingdom. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, when countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, though many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety, for all the churches. His life was filled with pain and suffering. He suffered immensely for the sake of gospel ministry. I mean, these verses remind us that Paul actually doesn't have any reasons to rejoice if you're looking at it from a worldly standpoint. He didn't live a comfortable life. His life wasn't filled with luxury. He was literally in danger, fearing for his life. That was his life and ministry. And this verse is coming from this man. And he's writing from prison. Rejoice in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. And Paul is able to do this. And Paul is able to do the gospel ministry faithfully, but also joyfully. Because I do believe that he understood this. That because true lasting joy is rooted in Christ alone. And that in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Because Paul had this intimate and personal relationship with Christ, he was able to do all things with joy. You know, Dennis Johnson, in his commentary to the book of Philippians, writes, To rejoice in the Lord is to resist the instinct to focus on visible pleasures and problems. It is to concentrate our minds deliberately on treasuring the Lord Jesus Christ, to focus on his majesty and mercy, his purity and power, to see and savor the glory of God in the face of Christ until our hearts are profoundly persuaded that he really is all we need in every situation. Paul understood that. And it's my prayer and hope that that all of us, as the Spirit of God who works in us and lives in us, continues to, to awaken and reawaken our senses and our hearts and minds to this reality that we will be able to, to rejoice in the Lord 
that we will not get so caught up listing our first world problems and desperately chasing after our happy moments, going to our happy places for a quick fix, but rather we will remain in Christ because he's the one who remains constant. He's the one who remains faithful. And because in his presence alone is the fullness of joy. So what about you? Do you now, do you have all the reasons to rejoice? Because in Christ we do. We actually do. The gospel reminds us that we have all the reasons to rejoice. That we are loved. That we are forgiven. That we are adopted. That we are God's precious and beloved children. We are now co-heirs with Christ of the kingdom that is coming that cannot be shaken. Your life now belongs to him. And no one, there's absolutely no one and nothing in this world can snatch you out of his hands. And he is sovereign. He deeply cares for you. And he will remain faithful to you until the end. And the work that he began in your life, he will finish at the day of Jesus Christ. I mean, I can go on and on and on. But then the gospel reminds us of all the reasons that we have so that we can rejoice in the Lord no matter what is happening in our lives. You know, but this doesn't mean that we have to suppress our emotions. Let me end with this. Because we live in a broken world, we will continue to experience things or situations or life experience that will tear us apart. They will make us, you know, grieve. They will bring us a lot of pain and suffering and and utter hopelessness. I'm not saying that because we are called to rejoice that we have to suppress all those emotions. What I'm saying is this, that instead of being so fixated on what is happening before us that we actually are, you know, deceived into believing that we we simply cannot live by faith and not by sight, instead of being so caught up with our first world problems, that if you remain in Christ, you could actually grieve with hope. You could cry with hope, knowing that there's a kingdom that is coming. But even at this moment, you may not be able to see it clearly that Christ has already begun this work of redemption, that he's making all things new. But there's a kingdom coming, and Christ will come on that day, and he will take us heavenward. And in that place, as Revelation 20, verses 4 to 5 reminds us, in that place there will be no crying, no pain, no suffering, for the former things have passed away. We know how the story ends. Now, with that in mind, no matter what happens, yes, we may have our ups and downs, and we may have pockets where God actually leads us intentionally through the valleys. And it may may feel like you're going through this valley of death and that God is nowhere to be found. And and God may actually allow you to, uh, to experience seasons of brokenness and pain and suffering. But sometimes that's how he loves Because through pain and suffering, I do believe that God works miraculously and mysteriously. And my wife and I, we have personally experienced this, that through pain and suffering, God actually revealed himself to us even more personally, that he brought us closer to him. That through pain and suffering, that God was able to actually open the eyes of my heart and my mind so that I really learned what it means to savor him for who he is and to bask in his glory 
to really rejoice as I remain in him, abide in him, because in his presence there's fullness of God and fullness of joy. You know, I love what Charles Spurgeon says in, his, in a short book, Besides Still Waters. And he wrote this short book as a devotional as he was going through a season of depression. And this is what he writes. In prosperity, God is heard, and that is a blessing. In adversity, God is seen, and that is a greater blessing. Sanctified adversity quickens spiritual sensitivity. Sorrow after sorrow will wake the spirit and infuse a delicacy of perception that perhaps will not come in any other way. Most of us are so coarse that we need melting to attain that sacred softness by which the Lord God is joyfully perceived. Child of God, if you are suffering as much as Job, and you will in this life because we live in a broken world, and if your suffering permits you to see the Lord with a spiritually enlightened eye, be thankful for the sorrowful process. Sometimes that's how he loves, and he does this because he loves you this much. And when this happens, that through pain and suffering, that your eyes are open, your heart is renewed, and you begin to see God more clearly than ever, rejoice in that process. I mean, that was Job's confession. I mean, we are known for Job in appraising God, blessed be your name, for you give and you take away. Obviously, his joy and worship was not based on circumstances because Job actually had no reasons to rejoice. He lost everything in an instant. But did you know that towards the end of the book, Job actually ends with this confession? I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Job 42.5. Job is saying, because of pain and suffering, now my eyes actually see you. Now, if God is doing that in your life, you have all the more reasons to rejoice. Because what good is it if you have Gain the world's riches but have, no, have, but have no Christ in your life. There's no tr- greater tragedy than that. And you may be going through pain and suffering now, and you may be looking for answers. But as Tim Keller uh, reminds us, and he put it past, and I pray that this can also be true in your life and in this that rejoice, that Job actually never saw why he suffered, but he saw God, and that was enough. That was enough. And in that, Job rejoiced. Because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. In Jesus Christ, we have all the more reasons to rejoice. I want to actually encourage you, maybe go home today and count your blessings. See the work that God has been doing in your life. See how far you have come since the day you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. How much you have grown up in the gospel how you have grown and matured in your faith and how you are becoming more and more like him. And we have a future that is secure, a savior who is present, who will never leave us. How can we not rejoice? Let's continue to abide in Christ, remain in him, and rejoice always in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for for your faithfulness in our lives. Father, thank you so much that that you continue to remain faithful when we are prone to wander and when we are rebellious and disobedient. But thank you that you are faithful. 
Father, thank you for reminding us that in Jesus Christ that we have all the more reasons to rejoice. Father, forgive us for we have been so caught up with our own lives, our first world problems. And we have been desperately going after these happy moments, things that make us happy, thinking that these very things from this world will fill the inner longings of our hearts. But in the end, we know that they make us actually feel more empty. But thank you that in Jesus Christ, there's fullness of joy, which enables us to rejoice in you, no matter what is happening in our lives. For you are our treasure. Pray that would you open the eyes of our hearts if needed so that we will come be able to see this reality, this gospel truth clearly so that we will be your people marked by this kind of deep, abiding, lasting joy. May the gospel continue to captivate and capture our hearts so that no matter what is happening, no matter where we are, that we will choose to rejoice as we abide in you. Thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship God as we give our tithes and offerings to him. If you're visiting us today, please do not feel obligated to give.